Rochester Today with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning and welcome to Rochester Today for this Thursday. It's already Thursday. And that brings Tom Ostrom to the studio. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Andrew. Good to see you again. I guess we'll get the ball rolling right away with the mailbag. What is in the mailbag today? Okay, the Babylon Bee satire. Remember, Elizabeth Warren allegedly got her tenure at Harvard by claiming minority status as an American Indian. And of course, there's no proof uh, that she has any lineage uh, to that. So the Babylon Bee shows her (laughs) outside of uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh's house. And it's a photograph of the house and they've superimposed her face with an Indian war headdress <laughs> hiding in the bushes. <laughs> and she said, me big angry at Kavanaugh for taking away the right to choose. White men break treaties all the time, never keep word. Well, that's true too in the history <laughs> about the Indian treaties, they were often broken. And then uh, uh, she says, uh, I will defeat Justice Kavanaugh in a tomahawk battle. <laughs> <laughs> as authorities take her away in handcuffs. <laughs> That's biting, very biting commentary. Oh, was Warren the one that um, had complained after the draft Roe v. Wade ruling was leaked that I believe it was Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearing or I don't think it was Warren. I think it was Collins or uh, one of the Republican senators. So I guess it's a big never mind that in a conversation, I think they claimed that Kavanaugh had said that, uh, in his view, Roe v. Wade was settled law or precedent. So, but it wasn't. It wasn't Warren. So I'm mistaken. Never mind. <laughs> this from Skilly, a political cartoonist with the Pittsburgh Post, a reporter shown talking to Hillary Clinton, and the reporter says. Overwhelming evidence a DC jury included donors to your campaign acquitted your lawyer of lying to the FBI and promoting a hoax to discredit your opponent. Is that really equal justice under the law? Hillary emulating what her president husband actually said when he was being interrogated. He said, she says, it depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, one more. Boy. Yeah that, yeah, that brings back memories. Reminiscences of the past, yeah. And then uh, this from Kent. Tom, I really appreciated your and Andy's thoughts last week in regard to my question and comments about uh, uh, the totalitarianism of the Soviets and the China Maoists and the right-wing and left-wing and liberal and conservative uh, premises. Um as to parallels or circles or differences, and uh, it's, I just uh, just love the topic: uh, communism or socialism, fascism or Nazism, uh, the circle of totalitarianism, and uh, uh, communism and neo-Nazis are both on the left, uh, as you pointed out. The Nazi means national socialist; that's what it stands for. And the German sociologist Wolfgang Schivelbusch argues in his book, Three New Deals, 
that progressivism, communism, and national socialism are sister ideologies, variations on the same theme, impulses to move society to the left, away from free market capitalism and diminishing of individual liberties toward a collectivist state. And yes, slavery was endemic to the Democrat party and the Republicans advocated slave emancipation. And uh, the Ku Klux Klan was in the words of progressive historian Eric Foner, was the domestic terrorist arm of the Democrat party. And uh, Ronald Reagan said in 1975, if fascism ever comes to America, it will be in the name of liberalism. And well, that's what we're seeing today. But anyway, he said, I enjoy the show and uh, I love that topic. That's I, the mailbag. I appreciate you writing back, Kent. That's uh, interesting. Uh, well, it is an interesting topic. And Tom, you, you and I and many others, I'm sure, could spend the whole day going over the various rabbit holes that uh, are associated <laughs> with these different ideologies and philosophies and the spectrum of ideas and where it all falls. But yeah, excellent points. Um, we'll take a break and be right back and we'll continue with some more topics on Rochester Today. I'm Andy Brownell with Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340. K-R-O-C-A-M and 96.9 FM. Cybersecurity technology protects... With Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 K-R-O-C-A-M and 96.9 FM. Welcome back to the program. It's Rochester Today Thursday with Tom Ostrom and Andy Brownell. Tom, what is our first topic of the day? Well, you, you wrote on the K-R-O-C News website a very interesting story with a great uh, photograph and and I want to mention it uh, as having been in the so-called sea services in the Coast Guard, and we were closely cooperating with the U.S. Navy. You have a great picture of the newly commissioned Twin Cities named USS Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, that's what the Navy calls their ships, USS. And uh, and you had the wonderful story of, of the ship after ceremonies uh, in Duluth traversed the uh, canal system and the St. Lawrence River between Canada and the U.S. and then its outlet to the Atlantic Ocean. And on its trip on that waterway, uh, it got word of a uh, mariner in distress and it uh, it dispatched a whole inflatable uh, boat to rescue the stranded mariner. It's a great story that you wrote, and you had a wonderful map, but people just need to study geography nowadays, and it's a diminished subject. You had a beautiful map of that, that whole region to help listeners uh, uh, understand the story better, so I wanted to mention that. Oh, thanks, Tom. I'm mm -hmm. still amazed by that ship and that class of ship, how fast they are. I think I read that they do 50 knots. That's a pretty big vessel to be going 50 knots. Right. And it's and a little smaller. Go ahead. Oh, they're designed for it's quick a little... deployment, operating near coastlines. Uh, and I said quick deployment, rapid deployment to troubled areas. And it seems as if it's uh, the, the perfect fit for what we're dealing with in the world today. That's right. And it's smaller than a destroyer, and it's about the size of the Coast Guard cutters that have similar missions. 
And you mentioned close to shore operations. Uh, it can go into blue water, deep seas, but uh, so can Coast Guard cutters, but it can operate in shallow waters, as you point out. In the Naval and Coast Guard term for shallow water operations uh, is, they call it in the littoral regions. Uh, uh, <laughs> it was how it operates. But it was a nice story, Andy, and great, great map that you, that you had. Well, thanks, Tom. Well, you know, in Minnesota, the lieutenant governors voted separately uh, in on the ballot. And uh, there's a different kind of social justice by the uh, lieutenant governor on the gubernatorial ticket, Matt Burke, Matt Burke. And, Former football uh, player for the Vikings. Yes, yes. And while the governor's race is uh, is in a statistical tie between Democrat Governor Walz and uh, Republican candidate Dr. Jensen, uh, Republicans uh, have an outside-the-box person, and you can explain his sports history better than I can. He's a native of, uh, of uh, Cecil Durham Hall High School, and he, he played, as you said, for the Minnesota Vikings. And he said, Minnesotans are concerned about inflation and crime, but we're also concerned about education. And uh, and he mentions that education has changed now and everyone has a computer and uh, the cell phones. And uh, we are stakeholders to have our children properly educated, not indoctrinated, but educated. And we spend billions uh, on, on education and we're disappointed in the indoctrination uh, that is going on. And I intend to push back on that. And I want to offer school choice uh, as an option nowadays with parental disappointment with the public schools and what they emphasize, uh, not reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, but uh, these ideologies and, uh, and it's gonna ruin public education. So uh, that's a big ticket on my agenda. And uh, and uh, we have to not just feel good about education in our children, but see that they're well educated and not indoctrinated. Get back to the basics. So uh, he has an interesting philosophy, but school choice, he said, is essential. It's interesting, too, that with Burke on the ticket, you have the strange situation where the lieutenant governor candidate has better name recognition than the candidate for governor on the Republican ticket at this stage. Uh, Burke being well known for his days uh, with, the, with the Vikings. And uh, as you said, he was a Minnesota born and raised athlete and uh, went off to school after, I don't know if he completely, uh, yeah, I don't know enough about his history, but he certainly has enough name recognition to give the give the ticket a boost. And he was one of these gifted people that was not only outstanding in athletics, but in academics and was accepted into Harvard uh, because of those dual skills. So he'll bring a lot to governing if, uh, if he's, uh, he is elected. What's next? Well, you and I discussed this and some people say it's happening and it's a danger and others say it's a conspiracy theory. Uh, no proof, but I'm a fan of conspiracy theories because some of them work <laughs> out when evidence is sought and when more time is, elapses into the study of the issue. And what we're talking about is the U.S. food market fires that have broken out all over the country. And now uh, 
a food processing plant in uh, Wapaka County in Wisconsin uh, was ignited on fire during the, uh, it's near Belmont and the Portage Wapaka County uh, area in Wisconsin, multiple fire departments responded and the company owner, Mike Holmgren said the cause of the fire is under investigation. Uh, the crew took nine hours to put out the uh, the fire. hundred employees are involved in the management and owner said, we're gonna get back, we're gonna build back, we're gonna protect our employees' jobs and, and our services in that sense. And he wanted to thank the, the firefighters, but this came from the Gateway Pundit and, and at least uh, uh, major fires have erupted across the nation, the, the pundit said, and, and most of them are listed as accidental or inconclusive. And they had a list of 96 fires that occurred across the nation. Uh, in one of them, a woman is in custody uh, for, for one of them. But at my count, there were 96 incidences across the nation, Andy, of these fires. And some say that's people going after the food industry and our infrastructure there to cause great damage. But I counted the list. There were 96 fires uh, in that sense since uh, January 2021 up to now. And 25 of the 96, Andy, as I counted the list, occurred in South Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, the, the Midwest Farm Belt. So uh, some people find uh, these things suspicious. Others talk about infrastructure susceptibility in such industries to, to fire, but uh, some people are concerned about it. I've seen the reports out there, and, the, and the, but I would like to see, and I guess I haven't spent the time to look into it, is if you compared the time period that you discussed and the number and then go back to previous years and just randomly pick, you know, the same number of months and count how many fires there were in food processing facilities in the nation. And I think that might, it might bolster the argument or it might uh, kind of send it to the trash heap because as mm -hmm. you pointed out, these kind of facilities, many of them are susceptible to this type of thing because of the dust that's involved in the production of food. And that dust can be very, very flammable. And I, and I'm just saying, I don't have enough information. I wish I had more. Yeah, and uh, like grain elevators and the dust are right. susceptible to fires. And you see uh, over time fires and grain elevators. And my dad uh, was was a, a state grain commissioner in, in Wisconsin for a while. And, uh, and we'd go to the grain elevators and look at things, but that dust, whether at a massive uh, elevator complex or a single complex in a small town by a railroad train, uh, very vulnerable to uh, explosions and fires. And the holes of ships that transport those kinds of agricultural materials are too. So care has to be taken in that industry. But you pointed that out when we talked about this yeah. a couple of months ago. And I've seen the additional reports of fires that have occurred since then. And those who argue that there is something sinister happening here, and I, I guess I, I, I just like to see some number comparisons to see if this is uh, a, a sizable increase in these number of fire, these types of fires, or is this is kind of the norm <laughs> that uh, 
because there are tens of thousands of these facilities across the country and it doesn't seem outrageous that you'd have fires in a number of them at any given time just by the yeah, sheer size but, of the but, industry but, but most of them most of them are attributed either to unknown cause or accidental incidents and uh, so there's a question mark over them as to what causes them but maybe the diversity of the industry makes makes uh, generalities uh, uh, dangerous that, there's no doubt about that i do have one more minnesota topic i saw this of all places it was john stossel the former uh i believe he was nbc reporter and tv personality and he's kind of created his own industry dealing with uh i i think it's all web-based but a podcast and all that and he took aim at the rent control that is now being put in place in St. Paul. Uh, now, Minneapolis also, the voters there also approved rent control on apartments, but it has not been implemented. St. Paul is implementing it, and they have already seen a more than 60% drop in building permits as a response to this. And, of course, it's not too hard to figure out why. Uh, because St. Paul has taken the unusual step of including new construction in the rent control. Most communities who impose rent control did not do that because of this very reason that who would ever in their right mind invest that kind of capital and basically be guaranteed you're going to lose money on your investment because of the rent control. Uh, Minneapolis which has yet to implement their rent control plan, has seen a 65% increase in building permits and many of those for apartment complexes. So it's interesting to see uh, how that's playing out. And I think, if I remember correctly, and I think Stossel even brings this up, that the uh, mayor of St. Paul, Melvin Carter, has uh, expressed some second thoughts about being a supporter of rent control because of what is happening here, that in fact, it will appears to be uh, producing a situation where you're going to have a lack of new homes being built or housing units being built in a time of a housing shortage because of what you've implemented as far as rent control is concerned. So uh, once again, some illogical moves by politicians in the state of Minnesota. Tom, with that, I think we have to take a break for news. So we will do that right now. Tom Ostrom's here. I'm Andy Brownell, and we will return after this news break on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Hi, I'm James Raby for Livia Weight Control. Thursday morning on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. T.O. is with us. I'm Andy Brownell, and what do you want to cover next? Well, the hypocrisy of, of Hillary Clinton just knows no bounds. And she has now accused former President Trump of a criminal conspiracy for not accepting the election loss. <laughs> and she has never accepted her loss against Trump. She said the election was stolen from her. So Democrats can say that. And they've said that about Republican elections since the time of Bush. But now Republicans can't say it. But Hillary can't accept the loss that she took in that sense. And she said, Trump knows he didn't beat me. He knows he's, he's an illegitimate, was an illegitimate uh, president. And, uh, and yet here she is uh, 
trying to get Trump out of office with false accusations about Russian collusion. And uh, to, I think the FBI and DOJ were weaponized to, to help her in that mission too. And so, but she's just uh, not accepting election results uh, for Trump. And, and a lot of Democrats haven't uh, accepted the election results of Republicans in, in previous elections. So, uh, but now it's uh, high treason if Republicans question the results in that sense. So, uh, but she's uh, harping again about her loss, which she thought wasn't a loss. You know, at the same time, at the end of the 2020 elections, that Trump was denying that he lost the election. In Georgia, I believe it was, was she a congresswoman or a senator? Um, she was saying the same thing. Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams, exactly. That the election was rigged and it was stolen and it was fraud. (laughs) I know. But, But at the same time, we've talked about this many times, I think that the way Trump went about that and the his promotion of unproven or unprovable allegations, I don't think it worked in his favor. And I think that it probably irreparably harmed him as far as being a future political candidate. But then again, I could be completely wrong on that. In this world that we're living in today, I never would not, that, I would not bet on it. Let's put it that way. I would not put any money on my bet when I say that. That's how confident or unconfident okay. I am. <laughs> okay. um, the House finally passed a bill to expand security protection for uh, Supreme Court justices and their families, but 27 Democrats voted against it, against protecting uh, Supreme Court justices, and uh, uh, it's it's just pathetic. And I have the list of the 27 Democrats who opposed the legislation. And uh, they come from several states in, in every region. But uh, the ones that uh, we know most about or cover most about, among those that opposed the legislation, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, and then uh, her, uh, a Muslim uh, Michigan Representative Rashida Tlaib uh, voted against it. And of course, Maxine Waters, who's famous for saying, get in their faces, bother them at restaurants and at the gas station. And, uh, and she came to Minnesota even during the George Floyd ruckuses and and, uh, and defended the, uh, the, that. So, uh, but I don't see on the list, and it surprises me, uh, a representative Omar, uh, our, our Minnesota congresswoman, I don't see her, her on the list as having voted against it. I mean, yeah, and, and if she didn't, uh, I'll credit her for it, or if this is an omission in the list, but she's not on the list. Well, it's, a, well, it's 27, so I think it'd probably be easy to verify the contents of the list. I, so a split within the squad is what you're describing on this issue. But, you know, Joe Biden, uh, after he hasn't really mentioned the Kavanaugh threat or what happened to him. Uh, and, and he predicts if Roe is overturned, is this aiding and abetting? Uh, if Trump's comments caused a 
uh, insurrection uh, are Biden's. Uh, Biden predicts if Roe is overturned, this is his phrase, a mini revolution. Uh, what's he saying and what's he threatening and what's he encouraging, Andrew? I don't know. It goes back to what Schumer said uh, previously. I think he called it the justices are going to face a whirlwind or um, and it, it was also in regards to Roe v. Wade when it was a decision uh, on another abortion related law from another state and Schumer got up in the steps of the state uh, the Supreme Court and issued mm-hmm. what some could interpret as a threat. And it is interesting that mm-hmm. uh, and that's why I don't think the January 6th hearings are going to go anywhere. I don't think you're ever going to see any charges brought against former President Trump as a result of what he said. Uh, and there's, you know, they haven't produced any links that show that there were any actual communications between the White House and the Proud Boys or this, what's this other group, the Oath Keepers, that members of those two groups have actually been charged with organizing an actual conspiracy to attack the Capitol rather than be among the throngs of, I don't know, knuckleheads that went along that day and went inside the Capitol. And <laughs> I, it's still the whole thing. Just, it's incomprehensible to me. I still can't imagine being part of that mm-hmm. group and going, okay, I'll just go into the Capitol and there won't be any. I remember watching the videos going, don't these people realize they're on surveillance? They're going to be charged. They're breaking the law. It may take a while, but the, the real instigators of the violence that occurred that day who came there uh, with gas masks and all sorts of uh, different tools. And um, there's, I, I haven't heard any evidence that suggests that there were actual communications between the former president or members of his staff with those groups to try to coordinate or anything. And that would be chargeable if that was the case, but I don't believe yeah. it is the case. And the former Capitol uh, police chief uh, asked for backup and asked for National Guard and Trump asked for it too, and he was refused. Uh, they say there were some federal agents in the crowd uh, stirring things up uh, in that sense. And Trump did say, be peaceful and go home but it was still as we pointed out Andy you and I it was bad timing and a bad idea and it's it's hurting Trump it's more ammunition for his enemies that is uh for sure at least in my opinion but on the other I did read an article about uh the claims that a certain member of Congress had led I remember this early on that there was these allegations being put forward that certain members of Congress, Republicans, had led tour groups through the Capitol building in the days before January 6th, and that members of those tours, the groups, were linked to these, linked to the mob outside the the Capitol on January 6th, that they were staking out the place, quote unquote. And that was brought up again during the January 6th hearing, even though it was, had already been largely disproved. And now, Capitol Police went back and reviewed all the surveillance video and said, no, it's not true. (laughs) There's no evidence that this ever took place. But yet it was brought up again and brought up in such a way as, um, you know, a lot of thumping on the table and and pointing fingers type thing. And it's it's and it was a falsehood. 
uh, Andy, a federal court, and this is the second one in recent times that's done it, ruled against Biden on immigration, saying uh, these illegals uh, should should be arrested. They shouldn't be uh, uh, freed immediately. And, and Biden really doesn't have the authority to release illegals into the U.S. like he's doing. And the court ruled the decision by defense, or home, let's see, Homeland Security Secretary uh, Majorcus uh, to release immigrants who are supposed to be deported is arbitrary, capricious, and contrary to law. And the judge that said that is U.S. District Judge Drew Tipton in a 96-page opinion that the Biden administration and uh, his cohorts and the DHS uh, are violating their oaths of office and immigration law. And it, uh, I don't know what the court can do about it or what what people who disagree with that court will do about it, but um, that, that these illegals have to be detained and they should be arrested and they shouldn't be free from arrest. And, and as you try to figure out who's here for legitimate reasons and who isn't, but uh, how they're handling criminal aliens and releasing them, this judge said, it just violates the law. And that's why some people say with Republicans, uh, if they do take the House, the Senate, and later the White House, uh, these are impeachable offenses of a president and his administration not carrying out the laws of the land, which Congress has passed. Democrats don't seem to care that their laws uh, that they've written aren't uh, adhered to. But uh, anyway, that's what this judge said. Well, I wonder, I, I, I wish I had read more about that because what often happens, Tom, in these cases that when the judge issues the ruling, he can also, he or she can also issue an order that goes with the ruling that would demand action by the administration to halt what they're doing. But oftentimes that order, a stay is put on it because the judge knows perfectly well that the administration is going to immediately appeal. So rather than impose the order, yes. they'll just say, okay, we'll wait until an appellate court hears this and they can decide whether to impose the order. So that may be the delay in why something's not happening yet. Yeah. And another judge sides with Home Depot after the company stated that employees are not allowed to wear Black Lives Matter uh, imagery or clothing on duty. Uh, and the judge a judge sided with Home Depot's right to say that. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and confront Black Lives Matter that way. Uh, a judge whose last name uh, is ironically uh, bogus. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so we'll see what happens with that. And well, and but that, that one George... seems like Tom. That one seems so cut and dried. If you're an employer, you can yeah, demand a a dress code amongst your employees. You can say you have to mm -hmm. wear this uniform. So I, I think I am amazed. It even went to the point they got a hearing before a judge. I thought that would have been dismissed just like that, because those sort of rules are imposed on other. You, you know, schools impose it all the time. You can't have politically charged messages or uh, whatever they deem offensive materials on a T-shirt in a school. They have dress codes. Right. It used to be at right. IBM, you but had I, to wear a white shirt. But I recall when I taught in high school before I taught in college, uh, high, high schools that tried to have dress codes uh, sometime were chided, chided by uh, the judiciary that uh, that was an infringement on, on personal freedoms and and today it seems that 
uh, students can wear just about anything they, they want. Uh, not political, <laughs> evidently, but however uh, uh, immodest or uh, distracting uh, clothing might be. So what right do institutions have to govern dress codes? You know, and I noticed when I started teaching and when my wife Mary did, uh, teachers usually dressed rather professionally, uh, like IBM people did and others. And now the range of dress of teachers uh, is, is quite uh, liberal and sometimes uh, astonishing. And uh, some of my veteran friends that have spoken at schools that have been kind enough and patriotic enough to invite them uh, have said they've been astonished about how some people dress students and faculty in schools because these are older people who went to school at another time. <laughs> another time indeed. Another time indeed. Tom, we do have to take a break. We're running a little behind. So I will do that right now. I will flip the switches and we will be back in a moment. Tom Ostrom's here. I'm Andy Brownell. Thursday morning, Rochester Today on Rochester's News Talk, 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Hi, I'm James Raby for Livia Weight Control. Hey, with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk, 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning, everybody. We have a few minutes left in the program. Tom, what do you want to cover with our last four or five minutes? President Biden is planning a trip to Saudi Arabia to see the crown prince, and I... Just ironically enough, after he closed down the Keystone Pipeline, they say that he's going to ask Saudi Arabia to start pumping more fuel yeah. and we'll buy it from them. <laughs> yeah. So, but he also he also said uh, a while back that the Saudi prince was a pariah. So we'll see if the prince has anything to say to Joseph on that grounds. Well, he's running into the same pragmatism that every other president has run into that maybe you don't want to deal with the Saudis, but you got to <laughs> uh, because of the amount of the coveted oil that they control. But as you pointed out, there's a certain amount of irony that this president who has taken action to restrict the activities of the energy industry through regulation and um, other policies is looking to Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and others to pump more oil because he's facing a domestic backlash because of high energy prices, which mm -hmm. he may not have faced, at least to the level he's seeing now, if he had not instituted changes in policies and regulations that have limited investment in drilling and refinement and transportation. Yes, and, and in the Keystone situation, thousands tens of thousands of jobs were eliminated uh, well-paying jobs uh, hard-working people uh, i think there'll be a lot of voters in that industry that uh, aren't going to vote democrat in the next elections we shall find out in a few months right and the u.s embassy has resumed operations in the ukraine capital kiev uh, and the secretary of state said his department has implemented uh, security measures at the embassy would the russians target it because the americans are there and helping the ukraine and so the u.s embassy is resuming operations and they've got uh, uh, the uh, the u.s embassy said thanks to ukraine's courageous defense and bravery we're back and u.s secretary of state uh, blinken 
officially announced that operations have resumed there. And he said, we stand with the people of the Ukraine as they defend their country from Putin's brutal, brutal invasion. And we have extra security measures. Now, U.S. Marines are tasked with defending embassies. And I don't know if special units will defend the embassy or the Marines will be back. And if the Marines are back and, and Putin decides to take out an embassy or kill some Marines, I think we got another level of a, a process in that war, Andy. Absolutely. I mean, our embassy is sovereign U.S. territory and those Marines protecting it are operating on, under international law, sovereign U.S. territory. So an attack on that embassy is an attack on the United States. So it, it does carry a certain level of risk. But on the other hand, mm -hmm. it carries a certain level of symbolism as well that's important. Yeah. But um, we've got about ooh, maybe a minute, Tom. The China defense minister accused the United States uh, of trying to hijack the support of countries in the Asian Pacific region, saying Washington is seeking to advance its own interest and limit uh, Chinese freedom and China's expansion and China's relationship with nations in that region. Defense Minister General Wei Feng He lashed out at the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, said he is smearing China with his accusations and he's concerned with our naval operations and and uh, we want partnerships with the nations in this region the united states doesn't want us to and uh, and we will respond to the defense minister if, to united states intervention in uh, in the seas and the united states support of taiwan if that continues uh, and china is threatened with it we will respond with all necessary force so a little bit of lessons of who's got geopolitical authority in what regions. The Chinese also issued a statement, I think it was earlier this week or late last week regarding the Strait of Taiwan and that claiming that that was part of the Chinese-U.S. economic zone and that the United States Navy was not entitled to operate there. But, of course, the United States Navy continues to operate there. Um, so a lot of... Yeah, a lot of very aggressive statements coming out of the Chinese of late. And I wish we had more time to talk about it, but we do have to run, Tom. Um, yeah. We've got to get to the news before the top of the hour. So I'll have to say so long until next Tuesday. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, Tom. Tom Ostrom, I'm Andy Brownell. It's Rochester Today on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Attention. Have you